if you have your Bibles, we're still in First uh, John, First John chapter four, and uh, I've really enjoyed uh, this book. This is a, a powerful book. Um, just there's so many great truths in this. I like John's simplicity. Um, I'm a simple person. I need people to, to give it to me in, in fourth grade terms, not college terms. Anybody understand? Anybody with me on that? And uh, I like John's approach. So First John, it really it's sectioned off really nicely. If you if you look at it, how it's written, the first two chapters deal with the light of the Lord. How many know that uh, God, uh, Jesus, is the light of the world? Amen. All right. And chapters three and four deal with the love of the Lord. How many are grateful for the love of the Lord? Amen. Uh, and in chapter three, John, and we talked about this before I went to Guatemala, uh, he wrote on the, um, in verses one through nine, he talks about the, the pure love of God. How many know that God's love is pure to, towards us? He's patient. He's long suffering. He cares about us. He wants what's best for us. Amen. And verse, uh, verses 10 through 24, it talks about practical love. And uh, here in, in chapter 4, we will learn of God's perfect love. Amen. And so perfect, perfect love. What, what, is, what is that? And um, here's what I know about perfect love. It, it can only be found in the one who is defined as love, right? Perfect love can only be, only be found in the one who is defined by love. God is what? God is what? All right, if you don't know any Bible, you need to learn that right there. God is love. It, it is, he is the definition. Love cannot stand alone without God because God is love. Not love is God. God is love. And so, uh, and you must abide in God to receive love, right, to receive his love or to even achieve his love. I'll never love on other people if I am not abiding in the one who gives love. Um, so lastly, just just kind of a quickly, uh, the chapter 5, which we're not dealing with tonight, it deals with the life of God. So um, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4 says this. Um, I think I might have a different translation here, Tristan. Well, that's all right. I'll read that up there. Uh, it says, Beloved, do not believe every, every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Uh, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So uh, this is interesting. Perfect, uh, mature love requires discernment, okay? Uh, how many want to walk in love? You know that's going to take discernment. It's going to take discernment in your heart to know how what what pure love is. So perfect love requires that we, uh, according to this scripture, that we test the spirits in, in order that we don't fall prey to those who would seek to lure us away from the simplicity of the gospel. Uh, here's the thing. The gospel is simple. Amen. The gospel is truly simple. I'll give you uh, a great example of this. While I was in Guatemala, we were working. I was on the construction team. And. We were working on a building, and we were painting and, and doing some electrical work on this building. Uh, um, the and there is it's a Bible college, but they also are a, a church plant there, and they were going to have kids class. I think this was a Tuesday night, and at four o'clock, and I told the pastor, I said, "Do we need to clean this up in here?" And he goes, "No, they're going to have a kids class out by the big tree," and and I at four o'clock, and I was uh, I was like, "Okay," and so they went out there and they set up their there are a few little chairs out there, and there was about six uh, kids out there. And the pastor's wife, she was out there uh, underneath this big tree, and, and there was no projector. There was no lights. Uh, there was no soft chairs. There was no air conditioning. There was no heat. Come on, somebody, right? And, and, and I'm, how, many, how many are grateful for those things? I'm grateful for those things, but listen. There was none of that, but all this lady, this lady had, she stood about this tall, was a flannel graph board that was strapped around her neck right here, and she had a box of, uh, looked like prizes of some sort, 
and they sang songs with no music, just sang out loud, clapped their hands. They went around and shook our hands. And I sat there, and I went up to her, uh, me and Zaley, and then Braden came a little bit later. Uh, we sat there, and I said, can I, can I be a part of this service? And she said, absolutely. Uh, obviously not in those words. I had Google Translate on my phone, so that's how I was able to communicate with her. And um, she just told the simple story uh, of Cain and Abel with this flannel gram, and she's slapping these things on while she's got it around her. And they begin to sing, and as they begin to sing, I mean, honestly, I just begin to lift up my hands, and I just begin to weep because I thought, the gospel is so simple. We overcomplicate it way, way, way too much. Uh, we make it about things that, that are not. And it touched me, and I just began to weep and cry. And Zaley looked at me, and I was like, don't look at me because I'm crying, I'm, uh, and I'm feeling it. But the gospel is simple. So uh, we have to be discerning so others don't lure us away from the, from the simple gospel. Um, God loves you. Amen? He loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you. And, and how many know that God wants a relationship with you? And God wants to extend that relationship with those that you work with that don't know him. And God wants to extend that relationship of, of love. And, and he, wants, he wants you with him. So how do we test the spirits? Read on. Uh, verse 2 says this. This is how we can recognize the spirit of God. How many want to know how we recognize that? All right. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Verse, uh, verse 3. But uh, I'll read it up here. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of what? Antichrist. Yeah, some of you got your Bibles. Um, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So... If a teaching, now listen to me, if a teaching suggests or thought is of the Spirit of God, there's two things, two things we need to look for right here. It will affirm both the deity of God and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Okay, those two things. Everyone say deity and everyone say humanity. Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give you some verses here. If you look, if you look here in, um, I'll give you just five real fast that that these verses they talk about uh, some of them talk about the humanity of Christ and some of them talk about the deity of Christ so look at this John chapter 1 verse 14 says this and the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen in his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth so the word became what he became flesh all right Look at this, 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. All right, so we see there humanity. So look at this, Colossians 2.9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So this is talking about two things here, the, the humanity and the deity of Christ. Philippians 2.7 and it says this, but, uh, but Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. John 1, 1. How about this? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How many know that Jesus Christ he is God Almighty, and he came and he lived on this earth, lived a sinless life as a human being, died for your sins and for my sins, and rose again. And because of that, we are victorious. Amen. There's only five verses there, but there are many, many, many more. I could have kept going and going and going and going. I didn't even get to the Old Testament verses that point to that. So interestingly enough, in the early church, it was not the deity of Christ that was being questioned. It was if Christ was actually human or not. That was their, their struggle back then. You remember me talking about this a few weeks ago. Gnostics had showed up. And Gnostics believed that Christ was like a, when he was here on earth, that he was a spirit. He, wasn't, he didn't have human flesh. 
And John, uh, in the first two chapters, he points that out, and he's calling him out. He's like, listen, I walked with the guy. I was there with him. And so I, he's, and so these Gnostics would come in, and they would teach that, that Christ was this. And, and if we're not careful, right, these kind of teachings sometimes can creep into our, to the church through different things. Here's the, the, the devil's super cunning, isn't he? He's a, he's a smart, he's a smart thing, a smart being, and he knows how to fool us. Know how I know that? Let's look at this. Um, uh, see, he doesn't, the devil doesn't come in and just always tell the biggest whopper or the biggest lie, right? You know how the devil comes? He comes and he tells us a little half-truth. How many know that a half-truth is still a lie? Right? And, and so the devil, he comes in, he tells a half-truth, and, and, and then he, this half-truth gets us going in the wrong direction that God never intended for us to go. Let me give you a good example. You know, he told Eve in the garden, he said, you know, surely you won't die if you eat of this, Right? And when she ate of it, she didn't die right away, right? And, and so she became aware of, of the knowledge of good and evil because she all of a sudden knew, her and Adam knew that they were naked, right? Remember when God found them? He said, who told you you were naked? Oh, the Lord already knew that, that what was going on there. And, and, and so this half-truth, honestly, if we're not careful, these half-truths can, can get us tripped up. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit further. So John tells us that the Spirit of God attests to both the humanity and the deity of Christ. So uh, we see it in Scripture, and, and the Spirit bears witness to it. You know how you know who Jesus Christ is? This book right here. Okay? You want to know the nature of Jesus Christ? Read this book. Because it will define who he is. All right, don't trust somebody's word, spoken word about it. Dig in this book and dig it out for yourselves and find out the character of Jesus Christ. So uh, we see witness in the scripture and, and the spirit bears witness to it, okay. The spirit of God will never go against the word of God. Never, never, never. Never, the written word of God. So how do we know that? Through, through the litmus test of Scripture. How do we know uh, if, if, how do you know if pastor's teaching correctly and using, uh, using, you know, Scripture correctly? Hey, we have to attest. We have to know what the word of God says. If this is your weekly supply of lessons, listen, you need to get in your Bible more than just on Wednesdays and Sundays. Now, come on, somebody, shout me down, right? Here's what I know. God's word is perfect. This book, perfect. T.J. Skiles, not. You guys, not. This word stands. This word will stand and will always stand regardless of, of what happens in this world. So I don't always get it right. I, 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 my heart is always pure. I try to. Um, but here's what I do know, that I have to look at the litmus of my life and what I teach through this book right here. It's not my opinion, but it, it's what the Word of God says about it. Some people say, well, I don't know what to do in my life. I don't know where to turn. Well, what does the Bible say about your situation? Well, I don't know. Well, dig it out and find out. So such is the test by which we recognize who Christ is. Verse 4 says this, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I love, 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 love this scripture. You know, Jesus Christ in you is greater than anything that you'll face in this world. There is no temptation ah, that you cannot uh, withstand because you, you have Jesus Christ in you, and he will give you the strength to stand in the time of temptation. Amen. Look at this. Uh, deep in the in the uh, Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean, it, it's the uh, I, th I believe the most deepest part of the ocean in the world, the Pacific Ocean. It's so deep that you could fit Mount Everest, which is twenty nine thousand thirty two feet tall, could fit in this trench, and you would still have one point two miles of water before you got to the surface of the of the ocean. How many know that that's deep? 
I don't know about you, I don't like deep water. I don't want my feet in that kind of water, all right? Um, but uh, it's interesting, but we send submarines down, uh, down to explore, and, 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 you know, for them to get a submarine to go down to those depths and to get down there, they have to uh, take still and reinforce still because the pressure is so great down at those depths, right? It's amazing to me. But, you know, interesting enough, these, these same submarines who go down into this trench, guess what? They have films. They film stuff. There are fish down there with no steel, you know. Or they have the same thin scales that can withstand the pressure of, of the deep sea. Isn't that interesting down there? So how can that be? The answer is simple. The pressure on the inside of the fish is equal to the pressure of the outside of the fish. I mean, scientifically speaking. And here's what I what I want to tell you that that's the beauty of Christianity. Some people have have uh, you know at times have built up walls, right? And they think, hey, I'm going to build this wall because I, it's going to insulate me from the pressures of life, right? Somebody's hurt you, so I'm going to build this wall so I don't have to deal with them anymore. Come on, somebody, and this will protect me from the pressure of the enemy or or his attacks, only to find myself isolated because I've built these walls around me and I, I find myself frustrated. And here's, here's the key, child of God. The key is not to put up massive walls uh, to protect you from the enemy, but it's to realize that the one inside of you is greater than the pressure that is around you. Amen? Uh, and that means that uh, the one inside of you is greater than the pressure or, or the things that are threatening you, that are attacking you. Verse 4 tells us, greater is the one in you than he that is in the world. Some of you, when you're going through temptation, when you're going through trials, when you're going through situations, you need to remind yourself that Jesus Christ in me is greater than anything I could ever face. I am an overcomer because Jesus Christ is in me. Uh, I, think, I think about this verse. We like to quote it, right? But how many of us really like to stand on it? I, it's fun to say. I could say it on Sunday morning, get everyone riled up, right? And on Monday morning, and things aren't going good, and you got a bad attitude, or the boss is picking at you, or your wife is picking at you, or your husband's picking at you, you're going to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to let that affect me today because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Amen? Um, uh, look at this. 2 Corinthians, I, I love this, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, it says this, and I love what Paul says here. We, he says this, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. Amen? And we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. You know why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Can you give Jesus Christ a hand clap in this place? When you begin to understand that, listen, there's no temptation, there's no problem, there's no trauma, there's no difficulty that can come against you where uh, and, and we can move freely because we understand, hey, Jesus Christ is in me. Verse 5 says this. Uh, it says, they are of the world, therefore they speak as uh, of the world, and the world hears them. Um, verse 6, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. So uh, think about this. John wrote this. He's being inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he declares that those who truly know God know God. The word of God. My sheep know my. Those who don't know God, they, they don't listen to the word. So I, I, how do I keep from sinning? How do I keep from sinning? Some of you say, man, I, 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 just, keep, I just keep dropping the ball. I keep messing. How do I keep from sinning? Psalms 119.11 tells us, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is your greatest weapon against sin. 
next part of that verse says, this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. In this little bit of scripture, John has told us how to recognize, okay, listen to me, how to recognize people who are cultists, people who are charlatans, and people that are her heretics or people who, who preach heresy. If a person, listen to me, listen to me, if a person uh, draws people closer to God, if he, if, if he embraces both the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, if he encourages folks to read the scripture, he is of the spirit. Look at this, if, he, if that person diminishes the deity of, uh, or the humanity of Christ, if he makes people feel distant from God, or if that person makes light of the, of the word of God and, and says, you know, there are some things that we just can't explain or, or whatever the case, or doesn't take it seriously, John says this, they are in error. Plain and simple, I, lo I love the simple language here. Here's, here's the second part of this. I want you to look through this next bit of scripture. John 3.16, uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the what? That he gave his only, that whosoever shall not what? But have what? I want you to get that verse in your heart because we're going to read this next bit of scripture, but I want you to, to just read it through that lens, John 3.16. Look at this. Verse 7 says this, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, hey, do you know God? Whoever does not love does not, what? Know God. Whoever does not love does not, what? Oh, man, you ought to underline that in your Bible. Because God is, love is not God, God is love. All right, God is love. There's the there is the definition right there. So I, I like this. John, he he he, uh, you know, obviously he pushes the clutch here and he shifts gears. You know, he didn't know what I'm. He doesn't know what a clutch is. I, you know, but but I, I just my, that's how I picture it. But he tells us, hey, uh, we are to test the spirits. But here's the thing: when we test the spirits, we we are not to be cynical about it. Although we we are able to uh, identify heresy and, and pseudo-spirituality. We must also uh, uh, be those who love because God is love. What's that saying? You can't get so high on your horse spiritually that, hey, everything is wrong. And you got to call out everybody else, but, but you don't have love in your heart. Come on. Early in chapter 1, verse 5, John told us that God is light. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter chapter 9, verse 3, Moses tells us that God is a consuming fire. Amen? And fire, hey, you know, this is what I know about fire. Fire can be lovely or fire can be terrifying. Right? It depends on your relationship with the fire. Right? Absolutely. Fire could be, it could be one of the best things, but it, it could also be one of the scariest things, you know. A fire in a fireplace or in a wood stove is my friend in the wintertime, in the Indiana winter, amen? A fire in the fire pit with s'mores is my friend, right? But a fire in the California wilderness that burns hundreds of thousands of acres is terrifying, Right? And, and it's the relationship with the fire. Fire in the fire plot and the fireplace is light and love. Man, man, I, it just feels so good. This is putting out the the perfect amount of light. And you know, me and Tristan are sitting there by the fireplace, and there's a a warm fire glow on her face. And I'm like, man, it's just good to be here right now. It's warm. It's toasty. I love it. But it's light and love. But outside the fireplace, raging through. Uh, one's house, fire is terrifying, right? Uh, I, I remember, I, I believe it was about a, a year or two ago, maybe a year and a half ago, there was a fire, a major fire in the Sequoia National Forest. Tristan's family, they live, her mom and dad live up in um, up near the Sequoia National Forest. Their house, I mean, literally the property of the National Forest. You walk out, you get, you're in the National Forest. And, and they had a fire and everybody had to evacuate and and, you know, my father-in-law, he's very good at taking care of his, his area, gets all the leaves and all the pine needles and everything away from his house. 
And we went and visited last time in May last year. And I will never forget when we got there and I got to the back of their house. And I walked out and I saw exactly how close the fires got to their house. I mean, within just a hundred, a few hundred feet of their house. The, the trees are all burnt. There's no leaves. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, it is a miracle that your house is here. How many know that that is terrifying? That is scary, right? Uh, but so, so this is what we need to understand. So, too, he who embraced what God did for him, what, what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary, will be one who basks in the love and the light of the fire from Christ and his light. The flip side to that coin, though, is this. Those who don't accept Jesus' free gift of salvation will feel the heat of his wrath because the sin of unbelief abides in him. John chapter 3, verse 36 so, so know God here refers to, uh, in verse 8, uh, to know God here, it refers to, I'm sorry, I lost my place, uh, refers to an intimate, uh, experiential knowledge of God rather than just information about God. It's a relationship. Listen, I could tell you a lot about Tristan, my wife, I, and she could tell you a lot about me. And, and there's just information that you guys may know about me, but there's information because I have a, a, a relationship with my wife, a close relationship with my But there's stuff that she knows about me that none of you guys will never know about me. Why? Because she's my wife. There's an intimate relationship. We are, we are close. And that's what to know God, it means to intimately know him, not just know about him. I think the biggest thing and the biggest, one of the biggest lies that the enemy wants to do to, to the American church is to let you know just, hey, I've got a little bit of knowledge about God, but I don't have an intimate relationship with God. Whoever has a true relationship with God, listen to me, reflects his character. You, you begin to reflect his character. You begin to love like he loves. You begin to see people how he sees people. You begin to, to, to you know, empathize and sympathize for people. And, and, and so you begin to change. To say you love God while not loving others is a false claim. That's what scripture says. Verse 9 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love. Everyone say, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen. Scripture declares that uh, in Romans 3.11, it says, no one understands, no one seeks God. And here's what happens. He seeks us and he pulls us into his kingdom by the provision made for us. Because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on Calvary. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus does the whole thing. That's what grace is. Right? Unmerited favor. That's what grace is. That's what it is. So uh, when we first get saved, here's the thing. Think back. Some of you need to think way, 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 way back when you first got saved, right? Uh, when we first get saved, we accept God's grace unmerited so easily. Like, I don't deserve this grace, right? But here's what happens. After living for the Lord for a little bit of time, for a season or a long time, we start to think, I'm grateful for God's grace, but I need to also do this, and I need to do this, and I need to add this, right? And then uh, uh, Colossians 2.6 tells us, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's not that we need to ever add to what Christ has already done. He has already done enough, Amen. That's it. Uh, it's by, by grace you have been saved, not by your works, not by how much you pray in a day. That's not what saves you. It's Jesus Christ and him alone, not how much you read. You ought to read your Bible. I think those things are good. Listen, you ought to read your Bible. I'm not giving you an excuse not to do it, but that's not what saves me. It's Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with him. John says this is love, not that we love God, not that we had devotions, not that we are involved in missions, come on somebody, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin, or he paid your debt that you could not pay. That's it. Amen. The love of God was demonstrated through Jesus' work on the cross on our behalf. And so 
Um, God's only begotten son. You know what? I, I love that phrase. Everyone say, uh, God's only begotten son. Say that. All right. John is the only New Testament writer who calls Jesus this. It's really interesting to me. Um, and John says Jesus is this. That word begotten is this, is the unique son of God. No other person, no one else. It's Jesus Christ and him only. Verse 11 says this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All right, now this is where it gets a little shaky for us. I'm okay with loving God. I'm okay with loving God, right? How many could say, hey, God's been good to me. I'm okay with loving him. But sometimes, man, some of you rub up against me. Or sometimes I rub up against you. Loving others is, is an awful tough thing to do, amen? But, but since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So if God loves us and keeps on loving us, then we have no other option or, or recourse but to forgive people who have knowingly or unknowingly offended us. Quiet in here. Here's a tip. If you're having trouble forgiving someone who has wounded you or hurt you, Ask the Lord, say, hey, will you give me a glimpse of myself because you forgave me and I don't deserve it? Will you, will you just show me how rotten of a person I was? Will you just show me what, what, what true love is? Will you, will you model that for me, Lord? And how many know that, man, the grace and the mercy and the love of God that you have, you don't deserve? Verse 12 says this, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Verse 13, how many, I, I, let me say this, how many want to be complete in the love of God? And that verse tells us how to do that. If we love one another, God lives in us, and in his love is made complete in us. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him, and he is in us. By how we love others. I love that. He has given us of his spirit. So how do we know if we're really walking with the Lord and dwelling with the Lord? Uh, be, be, uh, because we have his spirit. So how do you know if you have his spirit? The fruit of the spirit being what? Come on, say it. Right? You notice I said fruit. I didn't say fruits of the spirit. I said fruits. Fruit. Singular. The others encompass in that one word, L-O-V-E, love. Love. Uh, I, you know, I know I'm walking close to the Lord to the degree of how I'm loving others. You know, that statement, you know, they, they, the, the rabbis asked Jesus, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And they asked Jesus, and, and Jesus said that you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Amen? This, right? And that is the first and greatest commandment, but the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So this relationship, if I've got this right, guess what? This will be right. Oh, man, that's, that's a beautiful picture. And Jesus would go on further to say, hey, all the law hangs on these two things. All the Old, the Old Testament, all that hangs on two things, loving God, loving others. You break the Ten Commandments down, the first four deal with my relationship with God. The last six deal with my relationship with man. God cares about our, our vertical relationship with him, but he tells us that God, that, that John tells us that God also cares about our horizontal relationships with others. You say, oh, man, you're really beating this point down because sometimes you got to hear it over and over and over and over. I have teenage kids. Sometimes you got to tell them again and again and again before it clicks, right? Verse 14 says this, and we have seen this and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and, and they in God. So this is talking uh, going back to John chapter 15 where he talks about the vine, right? I am the vine. And, and you know, uh, we have to be 
grafted in. We have to be connected to the vine, right? So here John gives us two things that will keep us from, from heresy or false doctrine concerning who Jesus is and who he was. So number one, here's the first one. We must first confess that Jesus came in the flesh to be the savior of the world, okay? That he was human, that he was deity, okay? That's the first thing. We must also confess, here's number two. You heard me say this earlier. We must confess that he is the son of God. Christ is both of those things. You know what that is? This is the, uh, okay, we can give you a lesson. Everyone, everyone, you didn't know you were getting a theological class today, okay? Uh, if you, you know, some of you just checked out, say, what's theological mean? But listen, this is the doctrine uh, of incarnation. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, Hindu. I'm talking about that, re- that religion. I'm talking about incarnation here is this. The doctrine of incarnation is this. The central Christian doctrine that God became flesh, that God assumed the human nature and became a man in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the second person of the Trinity. Christ was truly God and truly man. Everyone say the doctrine of incarnation. All right, good. Some of you wrote it down. Some of you got it. In Christianity, the word incarnation is used to express the ideal of Jesus Christ coming to this earth in human form. And the word is, is a Latin term that literally means the act of being made flesh. Okay, that's a breakdown of that. So theologically speaking, it's important that Jesus came in the flesh that he might also be able to die for us. That ought to make you shout. Whoop, 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 right? We're coming into the Super Bowl uh, season of the church, right? Easter, I call it the Super Bowl <laughs> season of the church, right? Um, because we celebrate Easter because Jesus Christ came and he died for my sins, but he rose again. Amen. Victorious over death, death and the grave forever. Amen. So in, in terms of his divine plan, Jesus also became human as part of his plan to die in your place as, our, as a sacrifice for us. Hebrews 9.22, it says this. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Listen to me. If Jesus Christ did not die on the cross, you cannot be freed from the curse of sin. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Uh, so further, in order to, to resurrect, he had to physically die, right? Cause and effect. Someone, let's go back to second grade. Cause and effect here, right? To, to resurrect, you have to die, right? To get up out of the bed, to wake up in the morning, you got to go to sleep, Right? So cause and effect, this is, this, so Christ died and then he resurrected and, 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 and I love that. So John is helping us today who struggle with Jesus' deity and his divinity and helping with, with those who are struggling with Jesus' humanity. He, he's spelling it out. Now listen, he is really, I mean, he's, he's putting up a very strong argument to the Gnostics back then who are saying that, that Christ was not in the human flesh. But today we deal with people who say that Christ wasn't deity. I'm okay with him being a person. I'm okay with you talking about him as, as a person, but I struggle with the deity of God. So, we, I, I mean, man, it's almost like the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing through John. Amen. That we would need this word today. Verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love of God uh, has for us. God is love. Everyone say God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In in this world, we are like Jesus. So um, I was when I was studying this, I, I have this underlined in my Bible and I don't know when I underlined it in my Bible. Um, at some point, I underlined this, and I, the part that I underlined in my Bible, it says God is love. Whoever lives in lo- uh, love lives in God and God in them. So I love that. So, so we, we know uh, it, this is a parallel to verse 14 because it, it, so we know the parallel to verse 14 says, and we have seen. Everyone say, we have seen. So to abide in love means the Christian lives within the sphere of God's Love, and that love is both experienced and expressed through the Christian life. It's both experienced and expressed. 
It's not that I come down here and God works on me in the altar and I cry and I boohoo and I experience his love. But it's also expressed when I leave this building and I go to the gas station or somebody cuts me off on the road. And I say, praise Jesus, bless him right now, right? Oh, come on, somebody. I'm talking to myself. That means that it's not enough to talk about it, but we got to live it. The world's, listen, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. The world, when they look at the church, they're, they're, they don't need a church that, that talks about it. They need a church that demonstrates it. They don't need a church that says, I love you. No, they, they want to see a church that says, I love you, and then I demonstrate it and show you how much I love you. What did Christ do? He demonstrated for us on the cross how much he loved us. Not only did he tell us he loved us, but he demonstrated us. He is the perfect example for you and I. God is love. Therefore, if we are his, if we are abiding in him, we will, like him, love others. Got bad news for you. Some of you need to get over yourself and start loving people that that have offended you, that have hurt you. I know, man, I know, I know that's not easy. I, I didn't say you have to have a relationship with them, but you need to forgive them, and you need to love on them, and you need to pray for them. Verse 18, there, uh, oh, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. There is no fear in love. I could preach, I could preach, whew, I could preach, I could preach right here. I could preach right here, sorry. Uh, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out what? Because fear has to, has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What does that mean? I, 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 whew, I truly love this verse. Perfect love casts out fear. How so? If I understand that God really truly loves me, I can have absolute confidence that whatever happens to me at any given moment is what God wanted for me and what's best for me. Right? Regardless what it looks like for me, I think that's why Paul could say, hey, you know what? To die is the gain. Kill me if you must. It's okay. It's what God wanted for me. It's okay. You know what? I trust him because I'm not worried about it because if you kill me, guess what? I'm in heaven. <laughs> Joke's on you guys. Regardless of what the doctor says, regardless of what the IRS says, come on, somebody, right? Regardless uh, of who wins an election. Oh, it got quiet in here. When you are sure of God's love, guess what? You do not have to live in fear. How many believe that God's got you? How many honestly believe that God's got you, right? Uh, Man, I don't care who the president is, right? You know who's sovereign over me? Right? It doesn't matter. I, I, I will trust the Lord because I know he loves me and I won't fear, right? You know, the Bible says do not fear. I believe there's 365 verses in the Bible that say do not fear. Uh, is that coincidence? I don't think so. I think the Lord's telling us every day, hey, you ought not be living in fear. You ought to, you ought to step up and say, hey, I trust you, God. I trust you in the process. I believe you've got my best interest at heart. So, uh, you know, 365, one for each day of the year. How many know that God loves us? The answer to anxiety and fear is not to face your fears or to try to figure out your phobias. I don't like heights. How many of you guys like heights? All right, good. So when I need to change the projector, you're on. You're on. Um, here's the thing, you know. <laughs> Uh, the key is to become saturated in God's love because his perfect love can cast out fear. I, it, it's interesting. When I was in Guatemala and we were, I was working and, and we had these columns. This church was probably, I don't know, 25, 30 feet off the ground. And, and they brought a ladder. Oh, Lord, help me. They, they called it a ladder. I don't even know really what else to say. It, it, had, it was one of those, those like um, uh, uh, little giant ladders. And it was beat up, and it was old, and it was in rough shape, and it only had one pin that worked, not on both sides, but only one of them. Come on, somebody. Yeah, you guys don't know what faith is until you get up 30 feet in the air, and you got one pin working on you, and you're trying to slap a screwdriver in the other side just so you don't, the ladder doesn't clap. And I said, I began to walk up that ladder, and it was doing this. No one else on the team offered to go up high and paint. I'm just going to throw that out there. 
And here I was up there, and I had a two-liter bottle of soda that we cut because they just didn't have a lot of a lot of extra stuff, and it had the bottle cap on it, and I filled it full of paint, and I'm carrying it like a torch. I got a paintbrush, and I'm going up the ladder like this. And I got to the top of that ladder, and I said, Lord, when I told you I would do anything and go anywhere in the ministry, this is not what I had in mind. This is not what, what I wanted to do. The sun was hot, and I was, I was reaching, and I, I, you know, I was trying to hang on to the ladder, and I was reaching up there just trying to get to the corners as best as I could. And, and, and I mean, and I finally got it all done, and I was scared, and I was worried. But, I, you know, I began to think about it, and the Holy Spirit just began to speak to me in that moment and say, hey, I got you. I got you. And yeah, obviously I made it back, right? And then the, the missionary showed up, and he tells the story how he fell off a ladder and, and hurt his head. And, like, I mean, he lost his memory for a while and all kinds of stuff. And so I was like, man, thank you, Lord. But, you know, I was scared in that moment, and I thought, man, Lord, why, why, why am I doing this? Why do you have me up here? But here's what I know. Perfect love casts out fear, fear, cynicism, grumpiness, doubt, despair wash over me when I, when, when I take my mind off of God's perfect love. You got a bad attitude? Start thinking about the goodness of God's love, and it will change. God is love. Thus, God has what? He has cast out fear. Amen. Uh, climb that ladder, Pastor. Step up and, and stop complaining, you big baby. Anybody wants to come and help me change the projector light, I mean, I'll let you, all right? <laughs> a, a mature understanding of God's love removes the fear of God's judgment. When you understand what God's love is doing for you, you're not worried about the judgment of God because he loves you. Look at this, verse 19, I promise we're almost done here. We love because he first loved us. I can love others because Christ loved me first. It doesn't work the other way around. I don't love others you know, I, first. I, I, I love because Christ first loved me. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. That's a good scripture. You ought to underline that. You ought to underline that. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So um, I'll, I'll say this. Forgiveness does, doesn't have anything to do with your feelings. Okay? Forgiveness has nothing to do with your feelings. Forgiveness is a decision we make. And we can choose to do it or not do it, right? It's a decision. Man, okay, for those who have been married in the, in the house for a while, I mean, those who have been married a long time, listen, you love each other at the first year of marriage, right? You're like, oh, man, you, you could just eat each other up. In the second year of marriage, you wish you would have because, right, you know, you get a little bit further. Into, but, you know, so there's days, there's days when you're married, guess what? You don't feel like loving, but you choose to love. It's a choice. Uh, here's the thing. Same with forgiveness. If we decide to forgive, here's what happens. When I make the decision, I choose to forgive, guess what? My feelings will eventually catch up to where my mind is. Who can choose, uh, who can choose to forgive? Only the person living in love. You won't do it outside of God's love. You won't be able to forgive. So who's living in love? The one who realizes that although he's a sinner and a failure, because God has been good to him, he has no reasonable option but to love his brother. That's it. Plain and simple. Listen, I, I know. You just say, oh, that's not easy. I know. It's downright frustrating at times because sometimes I just want to be aggravated at people. Is anybody else in the building like that? Sometimes you just want to be aggravated at somebody. And the Lord just begins to speak to me and say, settle down, calm down. Uh, I've been aggravated at people. I've been aggravated at pastors. And, and I wanted to talk about them. And I wanted to say things about them. And the Holy Spirit has checked my heart. I'm being a little transparent tonight. That's all right. Holy Spirit has checked my heart and told me, hey, rather than talk about them, why don't you pray for them? Or, or <laughs> in a moment where they're in the altars, the Holy Spirit gives, why don't you go pray for them? 
why don't you go pray a blessing on them? God, I don't want to do that. I'll lay my hands on them, but I don't want to pray for them. Rather than gossip about them, why don't you pray for them? The person I've been aggravated with, the, the Lord has, has taught me and, and, and asked me to, to, there's been moments where you go physically pray for that person. That's not easy. I, I remember when I was growing up, our worship team uh, before church, one, one, one service, I don't remember all the details about it, but we had a prayer meeting, and in this prayer, me- prayer meeting, we had a foot washing. Some of you know what a foot washing is. Some of you don't know what a, how many know what a foot washing is in the house. All right. I'll look at that. Uh, all right. Good. Um, and, and we did a foot washing. So we had the guys on one side. We had the ladies on one side. We don't want guys touching ladies' feet and all that, whatever, separate, you know. And, and, and we began to wash each other's feet. And I'll never forget my best friend at the time from high school. He was there. And we, we, we had a mutual friend who happened to be there at prayer meeting. And how many know that some people are just annoying? And, and our mutual friend was just annoying. And he, you know, we were, me and my friend, we were best friends. And he just kind of followed us around, all right? And, and, and I'll never forget my, my friend at that moment. And, and he, he was just really honest with me afterwards. And he said, I... I didn't want to wash his feet. I didn't, I didn't want to have to humble myself in that moment. But I'll never forget when he began to wash this guy's feet. And the humbleness in his heart began to break. And he began to pray for this guy as he was washing his feet. Why, why did that happen? Because, because of the love of God. And God has commanded us to love one another. Amen. John 13, 35 says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Plain and simple. Not how much you preach, not how much you post on Facebook, not how much you, uh, you know, give in offerings. Not by that. They're going to know by how you love one another. I don't know about you, uh, but it's, it's easier to love the Lord than it is to love people at times. And I can tell you as a pastor, I deal with all kinds of people. Some are easy to love on and some are tough. Sometimes I have to say, help me, Lord. Nothing tells the world that that you belong to Jesus more than than when we have fellowship with one another. We're loving on on one another. Let me ask this question. Does your love for others speak louder than your Christian T-shirt? I'm serious. Like people can identify, oh, you you got a you got a Christian T-shirt on, but does your love for for others in the grocery store? Can people look at you and go, there's something about? Are you a believer? I, you're just you're just kind. The the world will will uh, not know by how you witness, by how you preach, by how you worship, how much scr- uh, scripture you can quote, but they'll know uh, or how much you speak in tongues, it, it, all that stuff. You know how they're going to know? By how you love one another. How many want to want to love like Christ loves? Man, John throwing haymakers tonight. Reminded me, reminding you that, hey, we've been called to love because Christ first loved us. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for this word tonight.